All right, so I'm in the middle of Race Richards and uh, Hitz over here, Mr. Lightning Bolt. Uh, and they're talking about the priestly blessing and the blessing of the children. And it was interesting because as I began reading this, you know, we have the whole thing where we bless our sons, we bless our daughters, and then the priestly blessing is right there for the Birkat Banin as we start the Shabbat. And... Okay. It says that um, they mixed the blessings, but apparently going on here, this is, uh, yeah, this is Ray still talking. Only the one on Shabbat includes the children. And I guess we don't wear a tallit on Shabbat to bless the children because we're supposed to put our hands on their heads and bless them. Can't do that. If you're making the sheen up in the air under a tallit, <laughs> why it's have to be confusing. <laughs> and he's like, why is it so confusing? What do I do? Uh, case in point, if you're a Khazan, you wear your tallit all the time. If you're not a Khazan, you don't. And uh, it's actually kind of beautiful to think about putting sheens on the head of your children. As you say, the Birkat Kohanim over them. And uh, instead of raising them in the air, covered in a tallit that you don't wear at night because you're not a chazan. But anyway, just uh, wanted to let you sh see and share in on that information as that was coming in live. So let's run through the gamut of sources. I will source to the best of my ability as I share these things. First up, I started off. A thousand years ago, it seems like now, and uh, Yeshayahu chapter 11, and the art scroll commenting on uh, the Davidic Mashiach being what the first part of Yeshayahu 11 is talking about. So I wanted to share a couple of things. It says that from the stump of Yeshai, and a shoot will sprout forth from his roots. That's part of verse 1 in chapter 11 of Isaiah. Here's some commentary. It's uh, Mi Geza Yishai, from the stump of Yishai, Jesse. The prophet foresees the Jewish people many years into their, into their long exile. He compares the Davidic dynasty to a tree that has been cut down, leaving only a hopeless-looking stump from that very stump, however, he sees a new shoot springing forth from its roots, symbolizing the emergence of the Messianic king who will be worthy of his glorious ancestors. That's from the Radak. This connects directly to Ishpela's comment after the incredible Talmud Drash that says, well, David was called the son of God. So really, David's son being the son of God, I mean, he's connected back to the root of the source, like that whole thing. That's the lineage. The lineage comes from Hashem. So there's that. Because the the shoot that's going to shoot forth from this stump of Yeshai, it's connected to the roots. Next thing goes on to say, I'm jumping around here just to kind of get into what I took pictures of. In verse 2, it talks about the spirit of knowledge and fear of Hashem will be upon him. 
It says the oh verse three Slika. Verse three goes into saying that va hariko beirat Adonai velo lemare enav yishpot velo le mishma az nav. Yokiak, which is he will be imbued with the spirit, with a spirit of fear of Hashem, and will not need to judge by what his eyes see nor decide by what his ears hear. Okay, so that being said, it says the Mashiach will be able to judge correctly because he will have fear of Hashem and heavenly inspired wisdom. Without fear of God, knowledge is useless. Without knowledge, fear of God is inadequate. That's Malbim. Without fear of God, knowledge is useless. This is why if you have Torah knowledge, but you don't fear Shem, that's why it's in vain. But if you have no Torah knowledge, but you fear Hashem, that's also inadequate. So you have to have the knowledge and the fear together. That's the basic point. That's embodied in the Mashiach as well. Going on to say, our translation follows Rashi. He relates the word Vahariko to Ruach, which means spirit, because Mashiach is imbued through and through. I.e. his essence, his existence is the Ruach. With his God-fearing spirit, he will be granted the wisdom to know and understand who is innocent and who is guilty. Think about that when the woman was brought before him. It was like, okay, who's innocent and who's guilty here? That's just like some ninja stuff. Okay. Then it goes on to say, Radak explains the verse metaphorically. He relates Vahariko to Reak, which means smell. Mashiach will be imbued with a sense of smell, enabling him to have a lightning-like intuitive grasp of what is right and what is not. His perception of things will be as keen as one's sense of smell and he will not need to rely on the testimony of others. Love that. Because think about how it's dark. And then it also it lightens. Lightnings all of a sudden. When it lighten, lightning happens. That the whole area lights up. There's all this clarity just in a flash. That's what the judgment of Mashiach is like. It's like. It's, it's quick. It's full. And it's in a flash. It's like, got it. Okay. And it's like, what just happened? It's like, you got judged. Uh, wasn't, I feel like that was too quick. And it's like, well, that's how it works. It's in a moment, like twinkling of an eye. Anyway, uh, going on to say, the mild beam comments that judges are often swayed by appearances or by what they have heard. The Messianic King, however, will be completely objective and impartial. He will judge exclusively on the basis of facts and the law. 
Many people say they don't want to be with the law, so therefore you're cutting out one of your legs to help you for a thorough judgment. Or you're just saying, you know what, just judge me guilty because <laughs> uh, I said I don't want your law. So that happens. And it says, but this ability to judge intuitively, says Rabbi Iceman. <laughs> Rabbi Iceman, that's funny. Uh, it says, is only the tip of a vast iceberg. His ability to judge and, and how amazing that's going to be, that's just the tip of the iceberg about Mashiach. It says, Mashiach will possess a wisdom so profound, so far-reaching, that it comprehends all that is given to the human mind to grasp. That's from Music Made in Shemaim, Music Made in Heaven, page 44. So... Just a couple things on Mashiach. Tip of the iceberg is how amazing his ability to judge is going to be. Got into this uh, little thread here about Notzer and Nazareth and Netzer. Because the word for the branch here is Netzer in verse 1 of chapter 11. And then... Silver Surfer, because we got one of those Avengers. So Surfer Zoraok here, Silver Surfer. He says, oh, Netzer, I get it. And I'm like, wow. And what's so funny, Netzer rearranges to Rutzon. Resh Zadi Noon. That's funny, like will, the will of Hashem. So I say, yeah, Netzer, that's the root of Nazareth. That's where he shot up from. Coincidence? I think not. He says he's Actimundo. Say Yeshua is referred to sometimes as Yeshua Hanotzer. Like in Mark 10, 47, Yochanan, John 18, 5, and Acts 10, 38, just to name a few. Also lining up with one of the 13 attributes of Hashem, it's Notzer. Shemot 34, 7. Because it says, Notzer Chesed, which means preserver of kindness. So you have this guardian and this preserver. And um, I don't see any commentary on that from this in this particular humash that I have. But anyway... Uh, want to bring up the fact that that's important because the the noon and the word notzer is enlarged. So it's a big letter at this point. And so weird that they don't comment on it. But there's a little dot here. And it says noon rabotai. So, yeah, I don't know. Rukashem. So, going on, uh, I wanted to point out that the 13 attributes of Hashem, one of those 13 is what Mashiach is known as. And there were 13 different materials used in building up the Mishkan brought down by Rabbi Tonka Truck, Rabbi Trugman. So, you see here that the building up of Hashem is uh, through the Mashiach. 
and all connected with Chesed, which is the first week of the Omer, Chesed. So literally, as we're counting the Omer, we, we do get to build up Hashem, the lower part of the Sephirot. Take the lower seven Sephirot and connect them to the top three, and there you go. You have the fullness of the building up of Hashem. We start the Omer on the third day of Chag HaMatzot. On Chag HaMatzot at the beginning, namely Pesach, the first three Sephirot are already set, established in their place. You get that? Wisdom, knowledge, understanding, all of that gets happened at a... All of that gets happened. All of that goes down and establishes at the Seder. Then for the next seven weeks, you're building up the lower part. So you connect your lower seven to the upper three and you have 10, which would be the manifestation of the body of Hashem. So there's that. So Aquaman pops his head up, which is Ishnatav. He says, smell. Granted wisdom to understand who is guilty or innocent. Knock on wood. Hello, McFly. <laughs> Granted wisdom to discern the scent of his flock is what he said. And I said, oh, his sheep know his voice and he knows our scent. That's a whole new meaning to uh, depart from me. I never knew you. And he said, yeah, like being lukewarm. Then uh, everybody woke up the Mr. 52 pickup card thrower Gambit. Which is Akav, our Shomer version of Gambit. He says King David was old. Says David was 70 years old. For it is stated in 2 Samuel 5, 4. He was 30 when he became king and he reigned for 40 years. Advancing years, literally he came with the days. One can live for many, many years, but have few days of worthwhile accomplishment. Every day represents a new challenge and a new mission. A great person looks back on life full of fruitful days. A wicked person has a full catalog of wasted and abused days. Like Abraham in Bereshit, Genesis 24.1, David brought all of his days with him into his old age. Wow. Okay, so there's that. It says, if we apply the years here to Yeshua, he was 30 when he began to teach. 40 years later, the temple was destroyed because the temple was destroyed in AD 70. Given the idea of the tree being cut down in the exile, now fresh roots are growing. Plus, Yeshua is the judge of all judges because knowing their thoughts and what was in their heart, that was totally quoted about Yeshua, can't get away with anything. Shoresh says, what have y'all done? I was talking prophecy to my wife and I looked down at my phone and it was on fire. So I know fire and Shoresh doesn't really mix unless we're talking burning bush fire, which is fire of Torah. So I guess that's okay. But his phone... Not so okay. <laughs> we are the microorganism on the roots of Yishai trying to work our way to the top so that we might be grafted in on its branches, i.e. the Mashiach. The smell that Mashiach is looking for is the smell of Ghani Din and our Nefesh. 
So is the Torah in your heart? Because that's the only way you smell good for judgment. That's ridiculous. One of the other things it says is that Hashem is a forgiver of iniquity and willful sin. I loved reading this because I thought about the thief on the crucifixion stake next to Mashiach and how in a moment he was judged worthy of being brought to Ghani Din. So in the commentary here, and all these drops on this passage of Shemot 34, I'm reading from the Humash with the teachings of the Talmud. This one I'm about to read now is going to come from Yerushalayim Pe'ah 1-1, Yerushalayim Shavuot 1-6, Yerushalayim Sanhedrin 10-1. On the day of judgment, which is what day it was when Mashiach was on the stake, it was the day of judging the grain, which man is like the grain. That's why I was counting the Omer as significant, symbolic of grain. Says, on the day of judgment, every person's mitzvot will be weighed against their sins. Those who merits, whose merits outweigh their sins will enter Ghani Din. Those whose sins outweigh or though, yeah, those whose sins outweigh their mitzvot will go to Gehenna. Ask another person. Do Jews believe in Gehenna? Do Jews believe in hell? Well, here's the Talmud talking about hell. Anyway, but if a person merits and his sins are equally balanced. So if his merits and his sins are equally balanced. Then Hashem takes away one sin, causing the mitzvot to outweigh the sins. We see this from our pasuk, our verse, which says that one of Hashem's attributes is nose avon, one who carries sin. Like, I don't know, on his back, like a beam or something. It says, in the singular, rather than sins in the plural. This refers to the one sin that HaKadosh Baruch Hu removes from the scale. According to another opinion, Hashem accomplishes this very differently when the person's deeds are equally balanced. Hashem forgets one of the sins and causes the scales to tip. We learn this from the word nose, which is carries, which is spelled the same as the word nase which is forgets, telling us that Hashem forgets a sin. Yerushalayim Pe'ah 1-1, Yerushalayim Shavuot 1-6, Yerushalayim Sanhedrin 10-1. So there's that. Hashem carries our sin. That's ridiculous. All right. Got that one, got that one. Just so we know, uh, the whole thing with uh, the sign that was going to be given, the supernatural sign, and uh, what the rabbis know about the Messiah, the whole thing that's connected to Hezekiah and the Emmanuel and all that kind of stuff, well, it doesn't apply that Hezekiah is this one that's prophesied. Because he's born with that same set of ingredients, if you will for lack of better terms, but that was only actualized in Yeshua. 
When Hezekiah was born, it was born out of the outright rejection of King Ahaz. Because remember, as the big man brought down, the the big green man, the incredible Talmud, he said that God said, ask of me a sign. And King Ahaz says, no, I will not. Again, where you find this at? Let me go to my footnotes. You find this in Yeshiahu, Isaiah 7, 12. So let me read to you from page 51 of what the rabbis know about Messiah. God rejected Ahaz because he was unworthy of God's miracles. So in other words, Ahaz don't get no miracles. The child that's supposed to be born is supposed to be a miraculous child. Ahaz doesn't get any miracles. But the child that was supposed to be born is supposed to be a miraculous child. Anyway, but God nevertheless gave a miraculous sign <laughs> to the whole house of David. That's how good God is. God was like, well, you rejected me. You didn't seek my sign, but I'm going to do it anyway. However, you disqualified everything. So I'm just going to show you what it could have been. And then later we'll do what it actually was going to be. So it says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall he eat that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For behold, the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good. The land that you abhor shall be forsaken by both her kings. Here God promises the sign of a supernatural child born of a virgin, which is Alma. Who would carry the symbolic name Emmanuel, God with us? He would also be the promised king who will not make alliances with Assyria. The mighty Assyrians would not prevail because of Emmanuel and not Ahaz would rule Israel. Okay, but soon after there was a dawning of a new day, Ahaz had a son, Hezekiah, who ascended to the throne. He was a righteous and good king of great piety, obedient to the word of God. Would Ahaz's son, the good king Hezekiah, be chosen of God to fulfill all the prophecies that had accumulated through God's revelations? From Adam to the prophet Isaiah, doubtless, many, if not most in Israel, hoped that Hezekiah would be that kind. Indeed, some thought he was. Hence, Sanhedrin 98a. Talked about, we enjoyed the days of Mashiach with Hezekiah. And if Hezekiah was a Mashiach, there won't be one. That's, that's all Sanhedrin 98 stuff. But here's the deal. The idea that Hezekiah was the Mashiach probably prevailed for a while. One rabbi as late as first century CE, common era, still maintained this position. Rabbi Hillel maintained Israel cannot expect Mashiach any longer for they already enjoyed him in the time of King Hezekiah. That is Sanhedrin 99a. None of Rabbi Hillel's colleagues, colleagues agreed with him and one exclaimed, 
May God pardon Hillel since he contradicts God's prophet Zechariah, who came centuries after Hezekiah, who says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king comes to you. Hence, prophets like Zechariah, who prophesied after Hezekiah's reign, looked forward to the Mashiach. So there you go. Hezekiah wasn't Emmanuel, everlasting, mighty God, everlasting father, all that kind of stuff. Um, what do we got here? Well, we got Mashiach judging by smell and that one source. So don't really know if we really need to go here for this. Mm. This is uh, the who, what, when, where, why, how, Mashiach. I want to read from the how, because I want to know, like, I use this as a reference book, so how Mashiach is going to do things. Uh... Go ahead and go to the beginning of the how section. In this section, we discuss how Mashiach will be able to accomplish his mission. Despite the formidable opposition he faces, he will also discuss, or we will also discuss the Ari's teachings about the creation of the world, the fall of man, which is Adam, the source of Mashiach's soul, reincarnation, teshuva, and the ultimate rectification of all sin. Okay. Interesting. So it says, we have seen why Mashiach hasn't come, uh, why he hasn't yet come. His task is formidable, taking a world that has succumbed to all sorts of foolishness and getting all its inhabitants to realize by themselves the absurdity of their idolatries. Say to the law, why do we have COVID-19 right now? Because the whole world, which has succumbed to all sorts of foolishness, and we need to get all its inhabitants to recognize by themselves, like isolated, the absurdity of their idolatries. That's a part of the bringing of Mashiach. So continue praying, everybody. Let's do it. The next question about Mashiach is how. How can Mashiach take such a complicated and confused world and turn it aright? It certainly doesn't seem possible. To understand this, we must go back to the first sin. Even before that, to the beginning of creation. Even before that. Knowing how the world was created and how it is structured will give us a clue as to how sin was made possible. For how is it possible for a man to rebel against God? It will also give us a clue as to how it is possible for any sin, even the gravest, to be rectified. So, yeah. Sanhedrin 97a. The world will last 6,000 years. The first 2,000 years were desolate. The next 2,000 are Torah. The final 2,000 are days of Mashiach. That's where we're in right now, by the way. Heads up. 
says the world as we know it was created for to last uh, 6,000 years. First 2,000 years, the world was desolate for it was without Torah, without spiritual direction. The patriarch Abraham was 52 years old when he turned the world, turned, uh, the patriarch Abraham was 52 years old when the world turned 2,000. That's interesting. So Abraham was 52 when the world turned 2000. At this point, or at that point in his life, Abraham began spreading the word of God, thus initiating the two millennia period of the Torah. Shortly after the redaction of the Mishnah, the two millennia period of Torah concluded. Thus began the final two millennia period, the period of Mashiach. Once the Torah reached its state of maturity, the world became ripe for redemption. Having acquired the necessary tools, man must now make use of those tools to strive for this and the world's rectification. But is man up to the task? In a word, no. We need only look at the world around us as to judge our state of readiness. <laughs> We find in several instances that the souls of certain Zadikim were prepared long before their birth to fulfill a special mission in life. In the account of creation, the verse states, Bereshit 2.7, God created Ha-Adam, the man. The Midrash teaches Bereshit Rabbah 14.6, the man refers to Abraham. Then why wasn't Abraham the first man? Because if Adam sins, Abraham will be able to rectify the damage. The Midrash also teaches that Moshe was prepared as a redeemer. Jeremiah was told in Jeremiah 1.5, Before you were created, in the womb you were destined to be a prophet. Mordecai was prepared for his mission, and so on. Bereshit Rabbah 38, Baba Medzia 86a. And Mashiach was prepared for his mission to rectify the world long before it was created. Pesachim 54a. So, going to before the origin of something is how you look at the possibility of that something rectifying what was created. So, in other words... Mashiach had to be rectified and, and, and brought forth before creation because when creation is brought forth, he's already the source and the remedy and the cure for creation when it would fall. So this is why it's important to know Mashiach was not a man because he was already existent before existence. That's why he says before Abraham was, I am. Abraham was supposed to be the first man. I was like, yeah, he's first, but let, let Adam be brought forth first. If Adam messes up, Abraham will fix it. And it's like, well, the descendants of Abraham, if they mess it up, who's going to fix it? Because there was no one created as a man before Abraham. It's like, well, Mashiach, who can become a man and rectify man and the whole entire world for that fact. So that's that. Um... I think I'll finish with some shots from the Midrash Rabbah that I wanted to share. Go 
So I'll go through my purple tabs real quick. Because on the Yonto, there was just so much to share. But I wanted to encourage us that we're in a, a beautiful time of opportunity that I pray we take advantage of. There's this thing called a double cycle of time brought down by Midrash Rabbah 1511 for Parsha Bo. And it says this, we have a double cycle of time. The world year beginning in Tishrei used for matters and earthly life. And the Jewish year beginning in Nisan used in reference to Israel's spiritual and national calling. You go back up to the top, it says, when God chose Yaakov and his sons as his people, he established in his world a new moon of redemption. For in that month, the people of Israel were redeemed from Mitzrayim. And in that month, they are destined to be, be redeemed in the Messianic future. So Nisan is a, a month of redemption. This is the, the spiritual cycle. Tishrei is the earthly cycle. Going back to the uh, insights, it says, this duality is profoundly significant. The earthly year begins in the fall. And though it passes through spring and summer, it ends again in the fall. By contrast, the Jewish year begins in the spring. Though it passes through fall and winter, it ends again in the spring. What does this tell us? Everything earthly is born bare and without blossom out of the night. And though it rises to brightness of spring and the riches of blossom and fruit, it eventually sinks bare and blossomless into the night of its grave. You're like, same thing with us. We're born bare. We grow. It's like, oh, a beautiful child grows up. All right. And then ultimately we die back to the grave. That's earthly. Then it says that what has sprung from the dust becomes dust again. Everything holy and spiritual, on the other hand, has its origin in the vitality of spring. And though it has to meet and contend while running its course with night and death, it will emerge from struggle. Indeed, because of this struggle back into light and life. To teach men to count and live from springtime to springtime, to realize that every part of a holy life, even the toil and labor, mourning and pain, leads to eternity. That is the sum, the sum and substance of God's command to designate Nisan as the first of the months. Be a spring chicken and not a fall uh, I don't know. Be a spring chicken. <laughs> uh, Shemot Rabbah fifteen twelve on the left hand column over here at the top it says Hashem took them out from darkness and the shadow of death to light, as it is stated. He took them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their shackles. My chains are gone. I've been set free. Yoked with the Torah, my God rescued me. 
That's what the song should be. But anyway, it says he took them out from an iron yoke to life, which is the yoke of the Torah. Torah gives man life. See Devarim 30 verse 15. Next time somebody tells you, oh, you don't want to be under that yoke of Torah. It's like, sorry, I, I love to live. So I will be under a yoke of Torah because it's the opposite of the yoke of death and slavery. So for freedom, Mashiach set me free and I'm standing on it because I'm free. And free indeed. Shemot thirteen thirteen, Mark ten forty five, Titus two fourteen. What does these things talk about? Talks about the word for redeem, being saved. The verb peda, which means redeem, or Mashiach says, "I give my life as a ransom for many." Also says in the literal sense to ransom, to save someone or something by exchanging it for another person or object. In this case, God took the lives of the Egyptians as an exchange or an atonement for the lives of the Israelites who were themselves worthy of punishment for their sins. Wow. So we should have been punished, but Hashem allowed that the Egyptians were punished for our sake. So somebody died so that we can live. And one of the mitzvot about redeeming the donkey with a lamb connects us back to this because the donkey gave itself for us. And so the lamb gives itself now for the donkey. Anyway, in uh, the top here, this is Shemot Rabbah 17.5 says, they were sprinkling the blood of the Pesach on their doors. And in turn, God's great name was standing guard at their doors. So the name of Hashem was standing at their door. That's interesting. And it says, and preventing the destroyer from entering, they were occupying themselves with reciting the Hallel to God and fulfilling the laws of Pesach. And in turn, God was distinguishing between the Israelites and the Egyptians, arranging that the shed blood of the pure Egyptians should atone for the blood of the pure Israelites. And the reason I brought that up is because one of the main things we can do during COVID-19 is be occupied with fulfilling praises to God and his laws. Because as all of this pandemic is going on, there's a distinction being made. And that's the opportunity we're being granted. So, yes, stay home, clean, and bless Hashem, and be distinguished. Also, it goes on to say in Shemot Rabbah 21.11, says, um, this this." This is the significance of what Moshe said to the Israelites. He knew your way in this great wilderness, this 40 year period. Hashem, your God was with you and you did not lack Devar. Devarim 2.7. Which may be expounded to teach that they were lacking only to mention something and it was created before them. Footnote. The Midrash interprets the end of the verse, which literally means you did not lack a thing, as if it read, you lacked nothing but speech. 
Alternatively, the Midrash renders the verse, you lack nothing, and if you did lack something, it was speech. The Midrash cannot mean literally that things would be created in the mention of their names. For as is taught in Ecclesiastes 1.9, there is nothing new under the sun. What is meant, rather, is that seeds would immediately sprout and produce ripe fruit. Alternatively, our Midrash accords with Midrash Shoker Tov, where the verse explains to teach that if the Israelites would state that the manna should take the form of a specific delicacy, it would do so. Going on to say Rab Shimeon, Rabbi Shimeon says, even to speak, they were not lacking. Rather, one would merely think something in his heart and it was made. As it is stated, and they tested God in their hearts to request food for the craving. Tehillim 78.18 Another interpretation, you did not lack anything and there was nothing lacking for them in the world. But what was lacking? Repentance. As it is stated, take words with you, Devarim. Based off the word devar in the plural form, it's devarim. Take words with you and return to Hashem. Hosea 14.3 says, according to this interpretation, in the cited verse, Moshe criticized the people's failure to repent. The fact that they repeatedly asked for food and drink, while in fact they lacked for nothing materialistically. The Midrash sees the word devar, which is anything of, devar, of our verse in Deuteronomy, as unnecessary according to the verse's plain meaning, and therefore draws upon that word's similarity to a word in Hosea to infer that repentance was lacking in the wilderness. This is why when you read Hebrews, it talks about the same gospel was preached to the children of Israel in the wilderness that is preached to us. The only difference was the the doubting, the, the belief, the faith, if you will. I'm going to go ahead and go to that so it's properly sourced out. If you pick up in chapter 4 of the letter to the Hebrews, in verse 2 it says, for we have also had good news proclaimed to us, the Basora, just as they did. So the good news is not anything new. That that was uh, that was something that was preached in the desert. It says, but the word they heard did not help them because they were not unified with those who listened in faith. So. The good news can be preached to you, but it won't help you if you're not unified with those who listened in faith. So in other words, if you're not going to be obedient to it, there, there's that. Today, we must hear his voice. And furthermore, verse three, it says, for we who have trusted are entering into that rest. But guess what? Those who don't trust, they don't enter into that rest. So, yeah, same message, but what are we going to do with it? And I love the fact that we create seeds 
with our words and with our thoughts, which is the whole point of the matzah for our celebration of Chag HaMatzot. I think that's all I got for right now. So, Bezrat Hashem, I'll have some more, but just take advantage of Pesach. I know I've talked a lot this evening, but uh, man, so much. And our mouth is the key to our success. So we may not be able to per se create with our mouth like we think, but uh, what we speak will plant seeds and those seeds will sprout forth with the help of Hashem because Hashem is the one who brings forth the increase. So there's people who plant, there's those who water, but Hashem brings the increase. So what are we speaking? Because that is going to be harvested. Furthermore, if we're doing all this stuff and we're not repenting, we're we're making ourselves sterile. We're making ourselves like fruitless, which is Amalek. So not repenting makes us Amalek. So we have to remember, don't be like Amalek. <laughs> Brugashem. Speak forth. Speak. Speak and may it come into fruition. Think. Think and may it come into fruition. May, as we count the Omer, may all of this Kedusha just overflow us and just reorder the universe. Bring about the final redemption. Bring about all the newness that we received through Chag Hamatzot. May the mit, the mitzvot stay in our mouth, the matzah stay in our mouth, and may repentance be in our hearts and in our minds as we speak forth devarim, words, things. And may you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, bring healing to the entire world and bring healing things out of our mouths. Amen, Yeheh, Shemeh, Rabbah. Amen, Yehoshemay Rabbah. Amen, Yehoshemay Rabbah. Baruch Abah B'Shem Adonai, Kili Shuateka Kiviti Hashem. Maybe sooner in our days that we see the return of our King. Bring it forth, Hakadosh Baruch Bring it forth.